Good afternoon and welcome to the next GradCracker webinar with the Institute of Physics, also known as the IOP. Since July, we've been running these webinars weekly and have spoken to students and graduates from multiple sectors, including engineering consultancy, defence, law and scientific research, to name a few. And today we'd like to bring to your attention another sector, education, with a focus on the Institute of Physics. Now, don't turn off if you haven't completed or are completing a degree in, phys in physics. As a teacher training scholarships will take students from every STEM discipline, as long as some of your degree was based around or is based around physics. So don't worry, keep watching. Now let's find a little bit more about who they are and what they do. The IOP is based, um, is a UK based society and professional body that works to advance physics and education and research. There are two parts of the IOP which I'd like to cover off today. The first is to become a member of the IOP um, as an undergraduate or as a trainee. Now you'll benefit this um, because it'll give you access to professional workshops, special interest groups, and of course, the famous Physics World magazine, an opportunity not to be missed. Now, however, to Dan smiling, <laughs> Dan smiling away, it's like, um, <laughs> however, today we are focusing on their scholarships. Now, each year, the IOP awards 200 scholarships worth £26,000 to students who are passionate about physics and have the potential to become inspirational teachers. We will meet three of these trainee teachers now. So we have Ashley, who studied at Swansea, Dan, who studied at Birmingham, and Maria, who studied at Manchester. Dan, I'm going to put you on the spot here because I would like to give a shout out to your mum. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> who rang us on Tuesday asking us for a link because she wanted to watch this webinar live and see her son. So Kitty, hello. It's <laughs> brilliant. We're, we're really proud of him. So you definitely should be proud of him. So yeah, I hope Kitty's sat there with a cup of tea and a biscuit and tuning in. I'm sure she is. <laughs> oh, she was so sweet. Anyway, I digress. Um, so what is the route into teaching through a scholarship? Now, whilst you're completing your final degree at university, apply for the IOP scholarship through Gradcracker. Complete your STEM degree and then continue with a PGCE. I'm sorry about all these acronyms, but that stands for Postgraduate Certificate in Education. This basically allows you to become a teacher. The PGCE lasts for one year and comprises of one placement, which at the moment Dan and Ashley are doing due to COVID, or normally it is two placements, which Maria is doing. So you'll start off at one school, then halfway through, you'll move to a, separate, a, a secondary school, um, which Maria will talk about in a bit more detail. All of these placements will also run alongside your academic studies at university. Now, during your PGCE, you will collect evidence to show that you can meet eight key standards set by the Department of Education. This will then award you with the QTS, which also means Qualified Teacher Status. Basically means you're a teacher. Hooray! For all that hard work, you can go on and teach. <laughs> so now you all know who the IOP is, the scholarship they offer, and your route into teaching. I'm going to hand over to Sophie, who will speak to the trainee teachers about lots of things, but in particular, why they chose teaching, experiences that they've gained so far, and also their future plans. So thanks very much, everybody, for joining us today. And Sophie, over to you. Thank you very much, Carla. Um, so hi, everybody. Um, really excited to be joined by the scholars from the Institute of Physics today. Um, it's great, as Carla was saying, to be able to give you an insight into a, a different um, sector. You know, we've, we've touched upon a few different routes in and career routes over the last um, few months when we've been doing the webinar. So education is another one that's going to be great to find out more about. 
Um, so as Carla mentioned, Dan, Ashley and Maria all studied physics at university. But also remember what Carla said at the beginning, that um, you don't have to have studied a specific physics degree to be able to take part in these scholarships, as long as your university degree had some element of physics built into it. So I'm going to start by going over to Dan. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about your experience at university and ultimately what led you to decide that teaching was the career path for you? Yeah, hi everyone. Um, I think at university, I was obviously, I enjoyed my degree and I was enjoying doing physics, but in the third year of my degree, I had an option module called Teaching Physics in Schools. And that meant that every week I would go one Thursday morning to a local school and, and teach physics. Now I taught that to, I think I had a year nine and a year 10 in that school. Um, and I went in every week and I really enjoyed that. And from uh, I think I was 14, I started coaching football and I'd coached football for a long time. And I, I've always really enjoyed coaching in that, that sort of process of guiding people to understanding something and sharing knowledge and, and seeing people develop. And so after I graduated, I spent a year coaching um, sort of professionally, but, but I don't think it gave me in a career the sort of, sort of stability and, and regular routine that I liked. And then what I came to as a conclusion was, well, with teaching, I have everything that I like about coaching. I, I get to sort of guide people and share my knowledge. Um, but I also have a really stable career, um, a career that I know I'm going to enjoy, a regular workplace, colleagues and, and interactions with people. So it just sort of fell into place as a as a sort of natural fit for me. Um, and it's yeah, it's, it's proving enjoyable so far. It's working out well. <laughs> yeah, for now. I think that's what we mentioned as well when we were speaking um, before this webinar, how you didn't necessarily love the technical side of your degree either. You know, you didn't want to go into, you know, being you know, a scientist or something like that and really focused on the technical area either, did you? Yeah, I think, the, you know, in, in the physics degree, you obviously do a huge amount of theoretical work and data processing. And, and I, I enjoyed that side of it. But, but I think the thing I always enjoyed most in my degree was presenting and, and sort of explaining so when we had to do uh, a presentation for lab, when I had to share my work and, and talk, do some public speaking mm -hmm. or in my module that I was teaching in, that's that's when I was enjoying myself the most. Mm -hmm. So that sort of steered me as to what I actually wanted out of a career. Yeah, brilliant. Sorry, sir. <laughs> fine. I think it's a really good point, actually, that, you know, even if you're doing a STEM degree, there's so many elements of that STEM degree outside of the technical aspect. That are going to be able to help you decide on your future career like Dan was saying about the presenting aspect and, and explaining things that made him think okay teaching could be an option here as well as your experiences in, in, in coaching. Um, you know you mentioned as well about the, um, the option to do a module in, in um, education um, yeah. in physics in schools. Is that quite a common thing do you know or was that specific to your, your degree in, in Birmingham? Um, I obviously they run it at the University of Birmingham. I think it's a, an IOP initiative. I think they they sort of encourage the unis to run it as a module. Mm. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was sort of more commonplace throughout the UK. But I'm not a hundred percent on which unis run it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thanks, Dan. Um, Maria, I'm going to shoot over to you now. So you gained a love of teaching, a little bit similar to, to Dan actually, by you know coaching your university peers. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, your degree and, you know, what, what aspects led you to, to, to decide on a career in teaching? Yeah, so um, I studied in University of Manchester and they have this scheme called 
uh, PASS, which st stands for peer, um, like, assessing or peer assistance. I, I can't remember the acronym. But <laughs> as you move into second year or third year, fourth year, you can apply to be a peer mentor. And you have a group of first-year mentees and you meet weekly with them and you basically try to help them with their doubts. And, you know, having gone through first year, I, I, it was very recent to me what was the troubles and the struggles that I had. Mm -hmm. So it was very easy for me to like go straight to that point because I remembered where I struggled so I could really help them with uh, maybe what they weren't really understanding. And that whole experience of peer teaching was very satisfying to me, seeing how someone was struggling. And then after the session, it felt like they could move on. That really encouraged me. Um, and also in university, we worked a lot as a group. So we would study many times together or we would ask questions to each other. And my favorite subjects were like all the theoretical and math subjects. So for me, it was so fascinating when someone asked me a question about this, because I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is my time. I can share with them this, this very cool thing. So um, I, I just thought that that gave me a lot of um, grat gratification. So um, teaching um, was, was a path that I started considering. Um, so yeah, that, 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 that's kind of my side that drove me into teaching from university. Brilliant. And Maria is just the happiest person you'll ever meet. I mean, like speaking to Maria leading up to this webinar is just like, if she was your teacher, you'd, you'd love her. I know you would. So I love Maria's day. So when we have these um, pre-webinar chats just to get to know each other and everything else. I said, oh, Maria, you know, what, what, are you doing, what are you doing today? And she's just like, oh, you know, like a little, little bit of yoga first thing this morning. And then I might just go on some XYZ and a couple of bits of reading. I'm just like, oh, I want your life. <laughs> it just sounds perfect. <laughs> uh, no, I don't um, think so. <laughs> Oh, so that's great. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's a similar sort of thing to, to Dan that you've all you, you've picked out those kind of elements of your degree where you thought, you know, I really enjoy working with other people and being able to explain the technical aspects. Um, so that's brilliant. And I think that's a good good takeaway for our audience to think, you know, when they are studying, don't just focus on that technical stuff. What, what other skills are you gaining? I think it's the opposite stuff, isn't it, to what we normally have, and this is what we're really, why we're really excited about this webinar as well, because, you know, if you, if you watch the webinars over the past couple of weeks, you've, we've done, um, you know, the law firms, intellectual property, a lot of the, the students on the Herbert Smith Freehills and, you know, other, other webinars similar to this, they wanted to take the technical part of their degree and use it in a different sector so use a technical part of their physics degree say and put it into intellectual property so you know like i like the point of view of, of you guys today that you know you love your degree you love studying but you wanted to use the communication part or the teaching part or mentorship part um, and i think that's what we're really going to get out of today um, and you know let the students know what it's all about so yeah it's going to be a good one um and Ashley, going to come over to you finally then. So from your point of view, why did you choose a career in teaching? 
Um, so I really, really enjoyed physics. And it's when I was at U when I was at school, I was one of the only girls that chose to do triple science. So I was one of two in a class of 15. Then at A level, I was the only girl again. So when I got to uni, I really wanted to like make sure I was pushing for like women in STEM and it was something that I really enjoyed. And I kind of then like wanted to do that outreach and like communicating like why physics is really good and like why everybody should do physics. And really like if you're a female, there's no reason why we can't do physics like the boys aren't that scary it's fine like come and do <laughs> physics it's really good it's really interesting that's always a cool stuff we can do like it's just a good subject and I think then like towards my degree towards the end of my degree I was getting to a point where I was like I don't know what I want to focus in on because I really just like everything and I think like sometimes like you're saying taking that technical aspect and applying it well i I enjoyed the technical side but I didn't know what area I wanted to go to and then I think I had this chat with um someone that came in and I was like oh, I just really like everything and I read it and he's like oh have you ever thought about teaching and I was like no and then looking and then looking into it and like reading it I thought god this is such a good fit for me because this is like everything that I want to do I want to like encourage females to go into STEM I want to like make science fun and interesting for everybody and just make it accessible to all and I think that's something that I really try for as well now that I've started teaching it's just those little like bits so like oh look at this article relating to what we're learning about now and that's somebody's doing that right now and it's just making it exciting and that's really why I wanted to go into teaching I think to show everybody how good physics is. That's brilliant. And that's, you know, that's what we need. We need people like yourselves like to go into these roles and say, right, physics is amazing. It's so interesting. And this is what you could do with that degree. I mean, there's so many different career paths open to physicists, as you'll know. Um, you know, obviously they can go and be teachers, they can go and work in law, they could go and work at CERN, you know, yeah. they could be astrophysicists you know there's all these things all these careers and you know I think you're right there's you know a lot of girls don't study as much um, the science subjects as much as the boys will do especially later on in in the secondary schools so having somebody like you to go in and do that is brilliant and, and the reasons you chose to do it is fantastic as well. I, th I think though actually and you know it, your point there is quite resonated on me so there are there are going to be you know girls out there who are thinking um you know I'm, I'm quite intimidated to go I don't know if Ashley's frozen actually she looks like she has a little bit I'll jot that question down <laughs> move on so I'll come back to Ashley with my question oh no she's back again I think sorry sorry wi-fi issues it's living in the middle of nowhere it doesn't help at all that's fine I, I completely I have empathy with that and um, no actually I was just asking from from a student's point of view you know secondary school student sixth farmer you know, they might be a bit intimidated, you know, you you were a brave one and said, you know what, I don't care, I'm the, I'm the only girl who's gone into, you know, three sciences and everything else. But would you give um, those girls out there any advice? You know, were you a little bit intimidated, a little bit daunted by the fact that you'd be the only girl? Um, I Are think actually you start to form um, really good relationships. So at the moment, uh, my first placement school is an all girls selective school. Mm -hmm and when I've got my job in September is actually um, a mixed school and I think that dynamic of the boys and girls in the classroom and I think like actually when you answer a question well like the boys look up to you and they just treat you exactly the same like I think sometimes it's like that mental thing like oh, I'm going to be the only girl like they're really going to notice I'm going to stand out but the boys don't really care like no. they actually don't they they just want to be there to learn physics or they want to be there to do something else like it doesn't matter and really at the end of the day of saying that you want to do the boys don't the boys don't matter just do it go for it just do it yeah just do it <laughs> yeah <laughs>
Thanks, Ashley. Thank you. Um, so what we're going to do now is we're going to kind of talk more about the application process, you know, how you get to become a teacher. Because um, it's quite different with the scholarship and the PGCE. So, um, Maria, you had an interview with the Institute of Physics to get the scholarship. So can you tell me a little bit about how that process worked and what the interview covered? Yeah. So first of all, the Institute of Physics sent you um, like three topics that you have to prepare to deliver to a, like year eight, year nine and year 10 um, class. And then on the interview day, there's first like a, a whole like a whole cohort meeting where they explain a bit of the scholarship and what the IOP offers as a, as a scholar. Mm -hmm. And then there's a group discussion. So there's perhaps like a group of six people and the interviewer uh, throws a question and gives you like three minutes or so, and everyone has to participate. Uh, we kind of rotated in my group who started answering the question to make sure everyone had a chance. Um, this is so friendly. Everyone is just so passionate into teaching that everyone's just giving their ideas. And if someone says something that the other person didn't think about, they go like, oh, this is a great idea. Like, it's not competitive at all. Like, I just felt so relaxed and comfortable. Mm. And then I don't know if it's on the same day or the following day, you have the one-to-one -one interview with uh, two uh, current physics teachers. And they ask you a few questions and you have to explain in five minutes each of the questions that they were given you. Um, and then they ask you further questions. And I'm gonna be honest, I didn't know the answers for all of them, uh, but they're, they're not expecting you to just like come with the answer. Like I remember in some of them, I had to stop and think. And then I just basically spoke out loud my mental process and the interviewer was like, yeah, that's, that's exactly like how you get to the answer, which is this. Um, so I would say, yeah, just in that moment, be very honest, but do really prepare the questions because it's, it's a very big, important part of the interview. Uh, but then just be relaxed and be honest. If you need time to think, everyone needs time to think. So did you get those questions in advance? Did you, did you, did you know kind of roughly what you were going to be asked then? Yeah. So I... I remember a few of them. One was how does a kettle work and why doesn't uh, need a lot of resistance to heat up? Because that's what people think, like you need a lot of resistance. So then when the current goes through, uh, it heats up and it, uh, it's actually not like that because otherwise you would lose current. So kind of explain that to a year eight, I think. So you have to also lower the level a lot. Another question was about dynamics. So if you have someone uh, jumping from a plane, uh, why do they get to a constant velocity? Um, and you explain that, and then I remember, then I was asked, oh, so then what happens if uh, the person who jumps opens the parachute? And uh, a lot of pupils have the misconception that you actually jump back up, but what happens is you have an acceleration in the opposite direction to where you're falling. So the velocity just reduces, but you don't jump back up. Um, so it was a, it was a very, yeah, you, you're given the questions uh, beforehand. But they try, it sounds like what they're trying to figure out is if you can explain yeah. quite complex issues to obviously a, an audience that's not going to really understand. So yeah, year eight students, which would be 12, 13 year olds, would they be around year eight? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like how you would lower these down mm -hmm. to um, yeah, year 12 year old students. Yeah. 
Okay, great. So that's the sort of thing that they're looking for in the interviews, obviously, that you can explain those those mm -hmm. complex things. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the in, uh, the Institute of Physics kind of element of it um, in terms of the interview to, to get the scholarship. But you also have to then apply for a PGCE, which, as Carla said, stands for Postgraduate Certificate in Education. You've got it. <laughs> um, so Dan, um, could you tell us a little bit more about how that process works? So you've got the gone through the IOP sort of element of it and then you've got to get your PGCE. So how does that work? Yeah, so you can apply for a PGCE through loads of routes. So you can do it with the university. I'm doing it mine at St. Mary's University in Twickenham, but you can also do them uh, in a school centred um, approach or you can work with sort of regional hubs there's there's loads of ways to get on a pgce um in terms of the interview it, it's not very dissimilar to the iop interview in a way i think you you have your subject knowledge assessed and the thing about being a physics teacher is that you train as a science teacher with a specialism in physics so they'll ask you to do subject knowledge like papers on biology chemistry and physics and i think in some cases you might need to brush up a little bit on your biology and chemistry before the course, but that's not, it'd be a huge issue. Then there was, in, in all the interviews was some sort of public speaking mm -hmm. element. So you had to, I think I did a, a presentation on momentum or uh, a talk about why I wanted to become a teacher or, or something like that. some sort of mm -hmm. five to 10 minute bit of public speaking. Mm -hmm. And then they also all had a sort of more traditional face-to-face -face interview where I get, you know, you get a range of questions about why you want to become a teacher. Um, you do have to explain some things. I, I think I remember my current tutor gave me a, a wooden block and put it on the table and said, why isn't the block falling through the table? Oh, explain that to me. And I, had, and I had to sort of talk about the forces and, and reason out. And it's a very similar thing. It's, it's not that you know it, it's how you go about explaining it and, and illustrating your ideas. And I think that's ultimately what they are looking for on, on those interview days is just your ability to articulate articulate your ideas clearly. Yeah, I think, I think Dan, something that I want to pick up on there, so if you don't mind, is the public speaking. So, you know, when are you going to say that? Yeah. <laughs> I've got the same minds. So just from the public speaking element, you know, a lot of the students watching the webinar today might think that you have to be, you know, trained in public, public speaking or speak absolutely properly which I do not I'm from Yorkshire and <laughs> very colloquially with my speaking um, but it's, it, that isn't true Dan is it they just want somebody who can really express um, what they are trying to get across you don't have to speak you know the Queen's English and, and everything else do you yeah it, it's not about the the sort of grammar or, yeah. or anything else it's, it's it's about if you can communicate your ideas yeah um, and, and as long as you you tick that box I think you're you're absolutely fine you know people come to teaching from all sorts of backgrounds yeah, and, yeah. and the thing is, is that you have a, a huge variety of students that you teach. Uh, and sometimes the Queen's English is less accessible than than having a Yorkshire accent. So. So, yeah, as long as you, you can communicate your ideas in a way people can understand your your set. Yeah. yeah, I think also, you know, you don't want to be going through the whole process of applying to a teacher and they've never kind of tested that, you know, you don't completely clam up as soon as you stand up in front of people because sure. it wouldn't yeah. be ideal, really. But you do have to do a lot of public speaking. You you know, you yeah. stand up every day in front of rooms full of yeah. people and, and talk to them. So it's, it's an important part of the job. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Could I just add to the speaking bit? Um, 
most of the people in the webinar today might have noticed I'm not native and I am making lots of mistakes as I am speaking through and I notice them, but I feel that my message still put across and I managed to get into a PGC. So yeah, like as Dan was saying, it's like how you explain things and put them point across rather than the perfect grammar of your sentences. Yeah, it's all about being, you know, it's all about being able to put your points across, but be inspiring as well. You know, these these teachers that I used to have and, and they get these guys here on the webinar today, you know, they're, they're inspirational about their subject matter. And I think if you if you are passionate about something that it doesn't really matter how you get it across, just as long as you do and people understand. But I think passion gets you um, a long way in life. And as long as you are passionate, then people will feed off that work. They think, oh, I want to know more about from my teacher, for example. But yeah, yeah. Thank, thanks, Dan and Maria. Really good points there. Yeah. Um, and just, Dan, um, before I move on, on to um, speaking to Ashley about this, did you get these um, questions in advance as well, like Maria did for the IOP? Did you kind of know what the format of the interview was going to be before you yeah. went? Yeah, so the majority of them I got. Any any public speaking to prepare, I got in advance. I think that there was a couple that they maybe threw in in the interview, but uh, most the vast majority of what you need on the day, you, you'll be given time to prepare. Uh, which is, I think, a pretty good reflection of teaching itself because you're, you're not going into lessons not knowing what you're teaching and you do have time to plan and prepare. But then equally, you will get some questions you're not expecting. Yeah. So it's it's probably the right ratio yeah. of uh, planning to reaction. A little bit like today. Yeah. So, <laughs> Ashley, um, kind of sticking with the PGC theme, um, as Dan said, you know, you did get time to kind of prepare beforehand. What what are the key ways that you can pre prepare for the PGC interview, you would say? And how did you prepare? Um, so I, my, I applied for my PGC through a university, but I am in a course that's in partnership with the university. So the university provide my training, but I don't necessarily... Um, go to them for my interview. I was interviewed by a school instead. So my... Um, interview was slightly different but I had to like find an article um that I was passionate about so I used actually physics world um which was by the IOP and I found an article on there and I had to teach it that way so making sure you're teaching something a you're passionate about so I mean obviously we're all passionate about physics that's why we love the subject but like as something that you know will then grab them as well like grab their attention so I did um black holes and spaghettification so where your body turns to basically spaghetti and they just love that and I think making sure something that you enjoy and you know that they're going to enjoy is something that's really key and like for your formal uh, interview bit you, you're not a teacher yet they don't expect you to be a teacher and be meeting all of these teaching standards and know everything under the sun there is about teaching you yeah. just need to go in and be you they want to know like like Dan and Maria have said your ability to explain uh difficult physics concepts simply to someone who might not understand anything and I think that's another thing you need to like mentally prepare for as well like you're not a teacher so they might ask you something that you don't know but just admit it you, you don't know it like even as a teacher now people ask me questions and I if I don't know them I don't know them but then you can just turn it back and like make it say like oh go and research this and you come back and you tell me like yeah. you be the teacher and tell the class like how it is and I think it's just that understanding that you're not a teacher and that's completely fine and as well just making sure you prepare you know some stuff so there's a couple of things that they might want you to like have an awareness of so obviously safeguarding is a massive thing mm -hmm. And making sure you're aware there's lots of websites like the government website and different websites like that that help you 
to prepare for them so there's questions you might get asked or things that they might necessarily know but you have to write a um, teaching application so like a personal statement so a lot of it is on there is about your experience so they just want to get to know you more so relax it's fine like they don't expect you to know everything they just want to get to know you That's can really I add to that as well yeah. um, you're talking about sort of the examples I think it's really important to don't be afraid to get away from the technical side you know if you're teaching something that's if it is about momentum don't don't worry you don't need to just write the equation for momentum and talk through it don't be make it you can make it fun and you can mm -hmm. use analogies and, and other ideas to to illustrate it and I think those for me are the best lessons I've watched um, as a trainee are the ones where teachers aren't afraid to go and make it fun and interesting and and I can only recommend that for your interview as a PGC student as well mm. yeah I wish you guys taught me physics. Yeah, I was just it would have been a real different outcome, I think. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's interesting what you're saying, Ashley, because I think this has been a fairly common theme throughout the webinars that we've been doing, that any interview process is, you know, you're not expected to know everything. They want to get to know who you are as a person. It's okay to say, I don't know, because, you know, you, you're not that, that, at that level yet. So I think that's a really good point for, for any student, you know, whatever interview process they go through. But, you know, it's obviously a similar thing for the, for the teaching one as well. Um, so sticking with the PGCE and kind of how that now works. So you obviously you've gone through the interview process and you now started it. Um, Dan, can you tell the audience a little bit about how the PGCE does work? You know, how is your week split up? Um, how do you kind of manage the teaching element and the, and the learning element? Uh, so a, a typical week will be in school. You have, I think I had three weeks at university, uh, four days a week, and then you start in school. Um, at the start of your placement, you'll, you'll probably spend the first week or two just observing other lessons, watching other teachers teach and getting to know the staff and the pupils. And then as you go through, you start teaching more and more lessons. So I think in my second week, I had one year seven class for one period. And then you have them for two periods and then they give you a year eight class and, and it sort of builds until I think now I'm on 15 periods a week with various year groups. So you, you sort of spend your time in school either teaching those lessons or planning lessons. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the majority of your time. You'll have a, a training meeting with your mentor every week and, and you'll have a mentor in the school that sort of gives you advice and helps you towards what you need to do to pass the PGCE. Um, and then amongst all of that, you also have the, the university work. So the university will expect you to do certain essays and assignments throughout the year, as well as your sort of duties to lesson planning. So it is to some extent an exercise in time management. Yeah. Um, but you can fit it all in if you're organised in that way. Dan, can I just ask, oh, sorry, so can I just ask one question on that, Dan? So um, I know you're a physics teacher and everything else, but can you get to watch um, other teachers teaching other lessons? Because, you know, all your physics teachers might have a similar style, but I know you've got an interest in PE and coaching and things like that. So obviously, you know, 90%, 99% of, of you watching the different teachers would be physics, I imagine. But could you go and watch a lesson in PE or maths or English, for example, just to see how different, pe different teachers teach different topics? Yeah, you do. I, I think it's it's quite common. I think I had two I had two days where I was watching other subjects. I had a, a great afternoon with GCSE drama, helping oh, them <laughs> helping them do their their performances and and giving feedback. Even though I've no right to be giving feedback because I know nothing about drama or acting. 
Um, I, I walked, I went out and did a, a PE lesson with one of the PE teachers. I think I watched um, English lessons and and watched them talk about books and and all of that. So yeah, you do get time to watch other lessons. And and the thing is, you are in a school, so you know at, at lunchtime in the staff room, I'm sat there with the English teachers and the PE teachers and the and the drama teachers and whoever's in the staff room, and we do talk about. Um, how they teach their subjects and, and how it's different. So, so you can definitely expose yourself to that, yeah, if you want to. Mm. Is that happening less so now though due to, due to COVID, you know, that interaction with other teachers during yeah. the, the downtimes? Is, is there any time that you can get together with different teachers and have those, or, you know, have those similar discussions or just listen to those similar discussions? We, we have science team meetings still online. So, so I'll still talk to the other science teachers, but um, the sort of cross-curricular is, is less in all truth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll get back there. We're we'll back to normal soon. Yes. <laughs> um, one thing I was going to ask you about the PGC, um, Dan, obviously you're running that, that alongside. Do you actually have to physically go to university during any point to, to get taught anything or is it all really on the job training? So I think traditionally you would go to the university for the first three weeks that I would do. And then every Wednesday of your week you is university day. Uh, for me, that's always been online because yeah. of, of the situation when I think in, but I think traditionally you would go onto campus on the Wednesday um, mm -hmm. and you do that every Wednesday until after the half term that we're currently in. Mm -hmm. And then after this half term until the end of the year, you spend five days a week in school. So, so the vast, I think, I think they, they work it out as two thirds school, one third uni. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so Ashley, coming to you, um, is that a similar thing for you in terms of the way that the PGCA works? Um, and also, I think Dan mentioned, you know, about mentors. Do you have mentors at your school and at university as well? How does that work? Um, so, yeah, we have a similar thing. So I went to school for two weeks in September and then I had two weeks off and I went to uni and then I went back into school and I, my university days are Friday. So I teach Monday to Thursday and then have a Friday where I go to uni. But mine's continuing throughout. So all the way until the end, I keep having uni. We have like different days. So like focus days, directed activity days. Then we have ones where we get taught. Um, like the physics and the chemistry and the biology subject um, content as well as then like how children learn and like more psychology and things behind that um, so that's how my uni works so it's similar but slightly different and then um, at uni I have a tutor at uni um, and he teaches so he actually was a physics teacher and now he works for the university and then at school I have a curriculum mentor who is another member of the science department and I also have a professional mentor who is a member of the senior leadership team and they then deal with like your professional training so working towards British values and making sure you're aware of safeguarding and planning um, work schemes of work and things like that so things that will develop you professionally so I have three uh, mentors. That's really good so it sounds like you get a lot of support then which yeah, I think yeah. you, you'll obviously need especially at the beginning of your careers when you are going into these scenarios. Um, yeah. Brilliant um, I'm going to move on slightly now to kind of what you're doing now as teachers. So um, you've all chosen to teach secondary school children. Um, as part of a PGC, you could choose to do primary or secondary, as far as I understand. But you've all chosen to kind of teach at that slightly higher level. So um, I'm going to kind of go around all of you and ask, ask why you decided that, that that level was right for you. But Maria, I'm going to start with you. Um, well, for me is because um, I guess I enjoy better perhaps explaining the complexity that is um, 
uh, taught in especially in A levels because um, I I always enjoyed maths and physics and I'm actually doing the PGC in physics and maths. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I really want to teach more is like higher level um, physics and maths. So I'm more leaning towards like a sixth form college. And obviously that route gives it, um, is given to me by the PGC in secondary education rather than primary. Um, Yeah, so so that's the reason why. So when you finish your PGC and you've done it in secondary education, does that then allow you to teach right up to 18 year olds, um, up to A levels, as well as year sevens? Yeah, that's a very good question because as Dan mentioned before, as a physics teacher, you, you're trained as a science teacher. Mm-hmm. So I have to be able to teach science, so biology, chemistry, and physics up to key stage four. Uh, but then A-levels, I would only teach my specialism, which is maths and physics. And key stage four is, is what age is that? Um, I might not be the best to answer this because I didn't have this educational system, but I think it's from 14 to 16, Dan, Ashley, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, year 10 and 11. Year 10 and 11. Okay, cool. 10 11? Yeah. Year stage four? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Y- years 10 and 11. Yeah. Oh, years 10 and 11. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was saying as in like um, 16 years old. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. But if you wanted to go and teach at sixth form college, you'd have to do that in your physics or maths area. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Um, and coming over to you then, Dan, why did you choose that secondary was going to be right for you? I think there's probably two reasons. Um, I, I wanted to teach physics. And I think the thing about becoming a primary school teacher is you teach a, more, a wider variety of subjects because you are teaching English and maths and, and you teach everything. You are the only teacher for the children in your class, which is is nice to get the, that relationship uh, in, in a different way. But I think I was more interested in teaching my specialism than teaching a, a broader range. And that's that's really personal preference um as a coach I've worked with players from a wide variety of ages and my experience from that was that I probably preferred the relationship that I built with the older players that I'd worked with more than the primary school age ones which again is is complete personal preference but it felt more sort of egalitarian to me and I I think as the the children progress into up secondary school they get more independent and you start to have a more balanced relationship which I I think I I quite liked Mm -hmm. Um, but it's really about personal preference and if you want to teach just your subject or you want to teach a mix yeah. if you in, enjoy working with children of a younger age or or of a, a slightly older age so I, I think personally it's just from my experiences that's what I preferred yeah brilliant and um Ashley same question to you um what made you choose that that secondary level yeah so similar to Dan I think that uh primary is almost too broad uh, for science but uh going into any other science career it's too narrow so I think uh for me it's almost like Goldilocks like the porridge is too hot the porridge is too cold like this one's perfect so I think that's like a nice fit that's how I kind of describe it and I think as well the same with the relationship so I really do enjoy teaching like my um year 10s and year 9s the year 7s are nice they're very um inquisitive they always want to ask questions they're really curious but I think the year 9s and 10s like that's a nice relationship like I think as well 
as that's just what I enjoy. And you have a nice rapport with them as well. They always like to know something interesting or they're obsessed with like TikTok or something that's going on in their lives. And like, it makes it fun. They're like, oh, I've seen this cool science thing like online. And then you can like use that in the classroom. And I think you can like feed off each other. And that's why I like teaching secondary really. Yeah. And it's a good age, isn't it? You know, these kids that you're teaching now, the year nines, you know, they're then making their GCSE choices. And then obviously they'll be making choices for A-level. And that's an area where, you know, it's really important to have a good teacher there to be able to say, right, you want to stay doing these subjects if you want to do X at university and go on to be an engineer or a physicist. Um, So it's, it's a really kind of integral time to be teaching those students, isn't it? And making helping them make those really important choices yeah you have quite a large influence on them which I think it's not necessarily like you're controlling them but you can like inspire them and kind of like guide them and help them I think as well so yeah being influential as a teacher yeah definitely ask a question about the secondary and primary then so this might be a silly question but I don't know the answer so if you specialize if you do PGC with with secondary school children when you become a qualified teacher does that mean that you're only allowed to teach secondary schools and vice versa or can you go on and teach in a private primary school or are you now secondary always type of thing legally if you get your pgc with qcs which is your qualified teacher status you can teach in any state school private school of any age so there's there's nothing there's no reason a primary school wouldn't couldn't employ you Mm -hmm. if you had a secondary pgc Uh, whether or not they would employ you is a is a different matter but but you can and and i have heard of instances ah cool that um, you also train as a let's say as a physics or science teacher but once you have your um, qualified teacher status and you're employed by by a school uh, there's no restriction on you teaching other curricular subjects mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's it's some kind of a trend physics teacher to teach maths uh, like there's a lot of physics and like um, and maths being teachers being working in like hand by hand yeah you could it could be quite flexible then in your career then if you went you know did physics for say 15 years specialize that and, and then thought actually you know what I want to change or even wanted to go and teach primary later on in your career you, you've got that flexibility because the qualification allows you to teach across all those broad areas yeah yeah that's what I was thinking Cool. So what I'm going to go on to now is just Maria and Ashley. We're going to talk a little bit about training because I know you both had quite specific training that you mentioned to us. Um, So you've um, had CPD sessions with the Institute of Physics, Maria, and CPD stands for Continuing Professional Development. So can you tell us a little bit more about those sessions that you've had so far? Yeah. So um, the Institute of Physics offers some um, sessions um, in the evenings, there's two kind of sessions that I've attended. One are maths on Mondays. So basically, um, by the way, they are all free. Um, and basically it touches certain topics in physics related with maths. So for example, units or standard fo- standard form, um, decimals. And, how, and the, the very good thing about these topics is you all know how to use it. You all know how to do these calculations but students struggle and you don't know why. So uh, they tell you what what is their misunderstanding and how they go along because these are senior teachers that have been working in the industry for many years. So they have very good strategies to go through that. 
So it's very good as a trainee teacher to know, oh, okay, that works. I'm going to use that. Yeah. Um, so those are the mats on Mondays. Um, and the, the guy who runs them, he's, he's great. He's very um, engaging. <laughs> and then, <laughs> there's another um, CPD sessions um, that are more uh, in physics domain. So there's a few of them on energy, uh, on electricity, on forces. And again, it's very, um, it's, it's a great thing to add to your PGC because they focus more on the physics. So for example, uh, the, the curriculum on energy changed from previous years. So the way it's been taught now, it might be different to how you were taught in schools. Mm -hmm. So they focus on like these approaches. There's a lot of videos that you can very easily um, take to the classroom. So they give you a lot of ideas and things that you can do in the classroom as well as how to teach it. And again, they cover a lot of these misconceptions. And I've, I know I've used this word before quite many times and misconception basically means a prior idea that students bring to the class. Yeah wrong or they create the wrong idea yeah. the way we perceive reality sometimes seems to clash with the laws of physics for example yeah. uh, how to go along with that and make them have the, the right idea no that's great I think you know I definitely had it when I was at school where there was just some concepts that I just could not get just by the, you know the first way that it was explained but you know the teachers obviously you know you go through these, this sort of training so that you can go and say right this student's got a mental block with this way of explaining it what other ways can we go around it I know mine was fractions it took me it took about five years ago to ever but you know that's one of the benefits of you know applying for your teacher's training scholarship through the Institute of Physics you do then get access to these resources afterwards to help you um, outside of you know all the teaching that you're getting whilst you're learning to be a teacher and also at university um, so that's brilliant um, now, Ashley, I'm going to come to you. So you have received, um, a, you, you mentioned um, earlier on the safeguarding training, but you've also done courses on um, SEND, which stands for Special Educational Needs and Disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, now, I'm particularly interested in the courses you attended um, around mental health um, and how that might have been exacerbated or shown itself a bit more prevalently um, during the pandemic. Um, so could you tell us a little bit more about all that sort of area yeah sure so my university we have like like i said earlier we have different days so we have like focus days we have um professional themes days uh we have loads of ones where we just basically do things so at the beginning we had direct activity days where we have to do basic safeguarding training so we had to read keeping children safe in education which is a government document that uh, schools like you to read it's quite long but there's certain sections that you like need to read the rest of it is kind of further higher ups and then um uh we did then like fgm um prevent so like radicalization and things like that so just making sure that you're aware of all of these things can happen in the outside and then that can happen in your classroom also and then we did our professional themes we did send so we had like different speakers coming in um so that's where i did the anxiety um and depression and they were like basically saying that like in your in a class of 31 like six people will have anxiety and depression um like on average that's so quite a lot and the statistics were really shocking i was really surprised at how many people and it's just giving you ways to like um communicate with people so sometimes those people can become quite shut down and not um engaging in your class so it's being able to identify when they're not engaging or if they're doing 
like something wrong or there's an issue in the class and then giving you strategies on how we can uh, improve that so help helping their anxiety in the class so currently I have um, some students who have anxiety and there's different ways of um, speaking to them or communicating with them if they're missing work or if um, something's wrong and it's just giving you those tools that you can use to apply in the classroom yeah I think um, it's, it's good to touch upon this because you are dealing with very, very young people and, and often, you know, vulnerable people as well. So you've got your, there's a lot of hats that you have to wear as a teacher. You know, you've got your technical aspect of, you know, actually teaching them the subject. Um, but then you've got the kind of more pastoral care of, you know, is everybody OK? Um, as well as the, you know, the inspirational side of things, or, you know, especially you guys who are wanting to guide these students to do physics. There's a lot of things that you're thinking about when you, whilst you're teaching and, and you obviously have to have a lot of guidance and training to be able to achieve that. So um, it is, it's, I'm glad that you kind of touched upon that today, Ashley, because I think it's good for the students to hear, you know, the realities of um, of teaching aren't always perfect. Um, and it's not just, you know, that particular subject. There's a lot more to the career than, than just that technical aspect. Yeah, like you said, some of the students are really vulnerable <laughs> and some of them might be have illnesses or something like that. So it's definitely like you are a physics teacher and you're helping people, but you're also supporting those students just to get through school and sometimes just to get through the day. And if your lesson, you can communicate with that student well, and maybe they might not learn anything, but at least they're comfortable in your learning environment. That's I think that's still good. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. Um, it's a lot of responsibility though isn't it especially yeah, yeah it definitely is scary when yeah. you first look at it you're like you're like oh yeah I can be a physics teacher like I just need to know physics and then you like get there and you're like oh my gosh like I need to wear like my responsible hat my physics teacher hat like yeah there's lots of different different um hats to wear shall we say yeah, definitely um okay Dan so I'm going to come to you now because we're going to kind of focus on on what's currently happening right now. Um, so obviously you're teaching in a virtual environment. So your school has a no camera policy. So you can't actually see the students when you are teaching lessons. No. So some of the stuff that Ashley's just said, how on earth do you kind of manage students that might be in that situation? How do you manage a class? How do you keep them engaged in this kind of virtual environment where you can't actually see them? Well, I think in terms of um, sort of safeguarding and, and student well-being, the, well, I still run my form time with my year eight form every twice a week. Um, I, I can't see them, but I can so, so talk to them about certain issues. And, and we do sort of keep that open if people want to speak to us about stuff like we would at school. So they, they can still sort of report things or, or just catch up if, if they're struggling with something. Um, I think the school, it's, it's sort of a, a wider school responsibility to check in with pupils and, you know, teaching online has been a learning process for everyone. We, we're all trying to work out how to do it. But I think over the term, feedback from pupils has been the most helpful thing. So something we've started doing now is giving five minutes at the start of the lesson where they, they can come on and sort all their web issues and not starting lessons exactly on, on the dot and having that sort of buffer time or giving the schedule for the lesson beforehand, you know, having the PowerPoint slides uploaded so that they can read them before or during the lesson. And, and I think it, it helps because it's much harder to judge the pace of a lesson online. When you're teaching in the classroom, I can sort of look at the faces in front of me and, and if they're all like, then, then I, can, I can tell a bit better whether they've understood, but online it's quite hard to judge that pace. So, so having those extra bits of support for the pupils is really important. In terms of engaging them, um, I think the key that we've really looked at is having more time for independent work um, and 
less teacher talk. I think if I, I couldn't possibly listen to myself talk for more than 15 minutes, <laughs> I think that's an absolute top limit. So if I can keep what I need to say to five and 10 minutes before I get them into an activity and I get them doing something and being active in the lesson, that's that's critical for me because if if they're passive uh, well in school it's bad but on the computer then they're they're really gonna just lose the their place in the lessons so yeah. so I think yeah making learning really active for them has been key yeah brilliant um so I'm gonna, we're gonna now cover just um, some misconceptions so as Maria eloquently explained earlier what a misconception was I'm not going to attempt to try and do it um <laughs> So um, I think there are some misconceptions around teaching um, and, and what people think about what that career is. And I'm hoping today we've, we've absolutely smashed that because I've absolutely loved hearing all of your stories and what you guys do. And I think that it, it sounds like such a valuable um, profession. So, but the first one I know we're gonna cover is money. So I think one thing that people hear is that salaries for teachers aren't very, very good. Um, and they can be quite low, but I, I know from talking to you, or just, you know, about the scholarship, you know, you get a £26,000 bursary to do the scholarship before you even become a qualified teacher. So what are the starting salaries for newly qualified teachers, Dan? So it depends where you are in the country, but uh, if you Google teachers pay scales, this is all publicly accessible information, so you, you can do this on the time, but I think in London, you start on £32,000 as a, a newly qualified teacher, and that goes to £26,000 outside of London in, in the country. So it does depend slightly where you are. Yeah, um, yeah 32000 in London as a starting salary. Uh, I think you're, you get regular pay rises in teaching. So you're probably adding a, a sort of 1.5K to that each year for your first six years. And then I think as you progress, you, you get more opportunities. So teachers can get bonuses to their salaries called TLR or teacher learning requirement where if you're taking on more responsibility, like you're ahead of year or you are ahead of department, you can get more added to your salary. Um, and that, yeah, so, so uh, there's, there's definitely room to grow that um, up. And I think as you become more senior in a school, you can progress your, your salary quite a lot. Um, I'm not, the private sector will, will pay slightly differently. I, I'm not really sure what, what they'll, they'll pay, but you can certainly teach them that too. Yeah. Um, and I think it's probably worth adding as well that as a as a physics teacher, you have a, a high probability of getting a job. Um, yeah. There's a reason that they give out this big bursary to try and get people to teach physics. And there's a reason that most physics teachers find a job because a lot of schools don't have a physics specialist. They don't have someone who's got a physics degree or an engineering degree in their department. So so it. I'm not saying you're guaranteed a job, but it is. You are you're a wanted entity, um, yeah. and that that's a nice factor to have in your career is is to do something that's in demand. Yeah, absolutely, and it also gives you, like you said at the beginning of the webinar, Dan, it's that stability of career as well, isn't it? You know, yeah. these skills are always going to be in demand. We're always going to be wanting physics teachers and people who are specialists in that area, um, and that's a great feeling if you can come into a marketplace where you think, okay, I'm I'm, I'm done my training, I'm I'm going to be able to get a job now. There's not as much worry there, is there? especially in the times that we're living in at the moment. Um, and then another misconception that, we, that people have is around the holidays. So I think a lot of people think, look at teachers and say, oh, you get amazing holidays, six weeks, eight weeks off in the summer, your Easter breaks, your, your Christmas breaks, etc. But what are the realities of long holidays? Um, so Ashley, I'll start with you. Um, how much of those do you actually spend working? You don't spend the whole six weeks just sitting on the beach, do you? 
No, so obviously um, doing your PGCE year, your half terms are kind of filled with doing your uni work as well. So my assignments are kind of like ideally timed so that you have the half term to like um, gather everything that you need and prepare to do them. But so for this half term, February, I didn't have um, any uni work to do. So I did all my planning um, yesterday. So really then as a trainee, I, I've had like most of the half term to just kind of relax and get yourself together, especially because teaching online is really difficult. And it's yeah. been one of those terms that's been really tough. So I definitely think this half term was needed to recuperate. But obviously then in Easter, I'll be doing my assignments that'll be a couple more days but I think in the summer and then really when you're getting into working as a teacher so in a couple of years down the line I think you'll probably spend like maybe one your six-week holiday I reckon will probably be about four weeks so like the first week of the holidays just winding down and finishing off that school things and then the last week of the holidays getting ready to go back and preparing like your classroom and school so yeah. for August definitely four weeks and then I think like give or take a couple of days off just for planning if you want to get ahead and be organized you can yeah. use that in half term and then you free up weekends so it's kind of like losing half term but win in term so it's yeah. you get most of them really yeah yeah Maria have you got anything to add to that um not really because well my, my experience has been a bit different to Dan and Ashley mm -hmm. uh, my first placement was online um so I, I haven't been in schools yet um though my uni my uni is kind of similar to what Ashley was saying all my assignments have been in half term so for example uh, I have a submission this week um, so I've been working on that, uh, but I think Ashley covered the holidays pretty well and explained how they work. Fab. Okay, um, so Carla, I think I'm going to hand back to you now, um, but it's been really, really interesting listening to you guys and finding out about, you know, how you go about, you know, becoming a teacher and your experiences so far. And I think um, hopefully our audience has learned a lot. I know that I definitely have. So it's been really lovely getting to know you guys as well over the last few weeks. And, and thank you so much for, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Thanks. Uh, and I hope you all can see um, from the trainee teachers here today, having a STEM degree can open so many doors for you. Um, education is a sector which you can go into and truly change the lives of school children. The next closing date for the scholarships is on the 8th of March. And um, so please, if you're feeling, if you're feeling inspired um, by this webinar and the trainee teachers, apply um, by the IOP hub on Gradcracker today. There's also some really useful pages that I just wanted to mention um, on the IOP hub. And um, these include videos and also these guys here who run the webinar have also written a short paragraph about the scholarship and why it's so important to become a teacher. Um, and also from a teacher's point of view, why physics is such a good subject to teach as well. So thank you all. Thank you, Ashley, Maria and Dan. Thank you, Sophie, um, for joining us today. Next week, me and Jessica are joined by BAE Systems. Honestly, these different sectors you guys out there can go into as STEM students is just mental. We're going from education to defence in a week. Um, <laughs> so BAE Systems is a leading defence aerospace and security company. And we will be seeing them next Thursday, two o'clock. So see you then. Take care, care, everybody. And thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you. Thank you.